Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is From Next Gen to CEO. It's an ex-wirehouse advisor on taking over the reins of the family business. A conversation with Mike Durso, founding partner and CEO of Shorehaven Wealth Partners. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. For Apple Podcast users, I'd be grateful if you'd give the show a review. Your input helps us to make the series better and alerts other advisors like you who may find the content to be relevant. And while you're at it, if you know others who are considering change or simply looking to learn more about the industry landscape, please feel free to share this episode or the series widely. Success is often rooted in having strong beliefs. That is, a belief in a mission or vision, or even the team that's driving the ball forward. For Mike Durso, it was a belief in the business that his father, Larry, started back in 1978 at Merrill, later moving to Prudential Securities and on to Wells Fargo Advisors in 2003 and Morgan Stanley in 2011. Mike joined his father's team at Morgan in 2016, coming from a background in asset management with the likes of Alliance Bernstein and later BlackRock, with the goal of bringing his diverse background to the family business and leveraging his institutional experience within wealth management. Yet it was also Mike's ability to see things from a perspective that was unlike his dad's. While he shared Larry's strong belief in doing everything they could for the clients, people Larry treated like family, Mike also felt that there could be a better way to serve them while creating a lasting legacy. It was through due diligence that Mike realized they were captive in the employee model at Morgan, and to truly do their best for their clients and build for the long term would mean launching their own independent firm. And that they did. In 2020, Larry, Mike, and their team left Morgan with some $400 million in managed assets to launch Shorehaven Wealth Partners in Red Bank, New Jersey, with support from Dynasty Financial Partners. Just two years later, Larry handed over the reins to Mike, naming him CEO of Shorehaven. And today, Mike, Larry, and the team at Shorehaven continue to build upon Larry's vision to build a firm that's right for their business and the clients they serve today, but even more so one that will thrive well into the future. In this episode, Mike discusses his journey from employee to breakaway to leader with my partner, Lewis Diamond. Mike shares the limitations he saw in their practice at Morgan and how having their own independent firm breaks down those barriers. He talks about the expanded capabilities they're realizing in independence and how they're now better able to achieve their goals. They discuss succession planning and overcoming the potential impact of merging business life and family life with advice for other next gens. And they talk about building for the future and much more. It's a great story with lots to discuss, so let's get to it. 
Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Lewis. Very good. So why don't you tell us about your journey to becoming an advisor? Because I know you had a career before joining your father's practice at Morgan Stanley. I did. Yeah. So it's interesting. I started my career in asset management in 2006, actually working as a internal salesperson at Alliance Bernstein. So spent the first couple years of my career calling upon financial advisors, trying to get them to use our mutual funds and separately managed account products. In 2009, kind of saw where the direction of the asset management industry was going. And I decided to go from Alliance Bernstein to what at the time was BGI and join the iShares ETF business. And so worked in the iShares ETF business for five years. I covered advisors for the first two. I transitioned away from the advisory world to cover institutional clients uh, for iShares and what became BlackRock after they purchased BGI working with pensions, foundations, and endowments. And then my last role at BlackRock was actually covering some of our partners that we've worked with today. So I covered Morgan Stanley, as well as I covered Fidelity on the ETF due diligence side, and really worked with those product providers to try and get iShares onto their platform. So interesting way to start your career, really try to get a well-rounded approach on the asset management side and understand how all different types of people manage money. I took a short two-year move after BlackRock to go work at a small asset manager up in Greenwich, Connecticut. And after parting ways with them, I decided to take some time and really figure out what I wanted to do with my career. And there was always in the back of my mind the potential to work with my father, but it was never really planned. There was no setup. Okay, you work for 10 years and you're going to join me. It was just kind of serendipitous how it happened. And I spoke with Larry and the team and decided that I thought it would make a lot of sense for me to join the team. So I did that in October of 2016 at Morgan Stanley. Perfect. I can absolutely resonate with that journey too. Not having the requirement or even kind of the, I would say the general knowledge that you're going to go join the family business, but your career path led you to to becoming an advisor. And clearly it was a really good decision. I'm very happy with it. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. So you hit on some of it, but what do you think it was with the skills you acquired with, with BGI and BlackRock and Bernstein that makes you a better advisor today? Or put another way, what did you learn from those roles that helped you contribute to the business in a different way than you could have if you just joined right out of school? Yeah, I think what was so interesting was just going through those training programs and really getting sales training that, you know, historically could be kind of hard to get in a financial advisory world. So we did tons of training on phone sales, in-person sales, presentation skills, really just trying to understand and learn the best way to work with clients. The other thing that was really interesting to me and kind of opened my eyes into the world that was out there was working with independent advisors, working with regional advisors. I mentioned I worked with pensions, foundations, and endowments, really just getting a diverse view on how people think about asset management and how they work with their end clients. So obviously on the advisory side, your end clients are, are the retail marketplace. When you work with a pension, you're working with people who are managing money for pension funds, right? So teachers and firemen and police officers. And there's a different focus there from sitting down with an endowment who's trying to work on distributions and manage money for a university. And I think Having that well-rounded view has really helped to bring a different viewpoint into Shorehaven. In addition to that, I think the biggest thing for me has just been my network. I started my career at these big asset management firms. As I'm sure you're aware, a lot of people leave those firms and work at a lot of different companies throughout the industry. And so 
not only do I have a good understanding of what goes on in the advisory world, but I also have a, a good understanding and good network on the asset management side of things to figure out who we should partner with and who's really going to help us build and grow that business. And a lot of the partners we have today are people that I ended up working with 10, 15 years ago, either rekindling those relationships or people I've stayed in touch with over time. Yeah, it sounds like the most ideal training ground. And did you have any hesitation about going into the family business? Of course. There was a couple of things. You know, for one, it's always a challenge to work with family, as I'm sure you know. Expectations are very high. I do a good job of compartmentalizing the personal versus the business. It's been a little bit harder for my father, and we've gotten to a really good place with it. But I think early on, this is his entire life. And so to him, family is business. And also, for his clients, I think a lot of clients think of him as family, which is why he has been so successful. And for me, growing up in that corporate environment, you talk about your family, but there's definitely work and then there's family. And so I think that we've gotten to a place where we really have a good understanding of what should be left on the family side and what should be the business side. And also knowing both of us, we're both very strong personalities. We have strong opinions on things. But there's definitely a mutual respect there, which allows us to really understand where the other person is coming from. And if there is something that he's right on or I'm wrong on, there's going to be no stubbornness. There's not going to be digging our feet in. We respect each other's opinions and it really allows us to move forward together. I think the other real benefit there has been Mike Lombardi, who's our third partner. Mike is always that kind of Switzerland. He plays neutral, but at times, you know, it's good to have him there as a sounding board between the two of us where he's actually worked with my father longer than I have. And so he really understands Larry inside and out as good as I do from a working relationship standpoint. And then we also have Cheryl, who's worked with my father for 28 years. And so as much as you want to get away from that family feel, there definitely is a family feel here. And so that was the hesitation up front. I would say that my mom probably had more hesitation than I did. She was definitely worried about what it was going to do to our relationship. Yeah. And do you think any of the fears were valid? I mean, of course, any fear is valid, but at the time, the the paranoia and the anxiety about what could happen if you came into a business, do you feel like you guys overcame them pretty quickly or did a lot of the fears come to fruition? It took time and it definitely wasn't without its blowups. Him and I are very heated people. We, we definitely are passionate about this. And so we've definitely had some pretty good blowups in the office. What I would say is that one thing we've really focused on is just communication. I think a lot of times if you allow things to build up and that anger builds up underneath or you're not realizing that the other person is, is getting upset, that's where we've had our worst moments. But I would say I'm very happy with our relationship now. I think our personal relationship is stronger than it's ever been. And I think a lot of that is because of what we've done from a business standpoint. And one thing I will say about my father, and he's always been this way, is he is certainly willing to change and think about what is next in his career, right? So, you know, he started out in 1978 and stockbroker days, transitioned to the bond side, transitioned to the mutual fund business, SMAs. And now we run an ETF model business. And I think why he's always been successful and why he's always done really well with clients is the ability to see what that next thing is and embrace that change, not be afraid of it. And that really ties into everything we do with our business. Yeah. And in getting to know you as well, it doesn't seem like you would join a business that was stuck in the past and wasn't willing to morph and evolve. So a real credit to your dad, Larry, for being flexible and seeing the future, but also credit to you for having the vision and putting your own stamp on it. It sounds like you took your iShares ETF expertise and really morphed the practice into where it is today. 
Yeah, it's been really exciting and it's been fun. And I think, again, it's a testament to him to really trust and understand that if I'm pushing something, it's what's best for our clients and what's best for our business. And we've seen that over time. And I think that he's been great at understanding what that next iteration of the business looks like. And it's been exciting. Perfect. And I think that'll be a good segue into the the rest of the interview. But before that, let's just get some background and perspective. So you talked about your dad, Larry, starting in the business in 78. Can you just take us through how Larry built this practice and then what the practice ultimately looked like when you guys were at Morgan Stanley together? Yeah. So it's amazing. I mean, I always say it's the greatest job in the world once you've established it, and it's the hardest job in the world to get it established. So I agree. I have the utmost respect for my father and the business that he's built. Like I said, it's been 44 years now of him doing this business, and a lot of clients have been with him for 40 plus years. And anyone who knows my father knows that he cares about them. He is a relationship person, first and foremost. He treats our clients like family. We have clients who he started out with the father and it's now the grandfather and it's the children and it's the grandkids and everything he does when he is working at, whether it was Wachovia, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, and now Shorehaven is to do what's best for our clients. He's constantly thinking about them. He's constantly thinking, what is the best for each person we work with? And it's really cool for me to sit down coming into the business only six years ago and hear the things that our clients have to say about him and the way that he built our business. Because you always hear it at home and you assume that your parents do a good job, but you don't know at the end of the day. And listening to clients who in 1980 came in to meet my father with very little wealth at the time and have grown into be successful people with a great family and a retirement plan and put their kids through college, it's a real testament to the business that he's built. And we certainly wouldn't be here without him today. And I think A lot of times I talk about the scale that we've built into our business and a lot of the younger clients that we're able to bring on today. So much of that is just subsidized by that core consistent business that he's had for 30 plus years. Can you explain that last concept a little bit more? So you're talking about bringing in the next crop of clients. I would presume that means they're not as affluent because they're earlier in their careers. So can you just talk a little bit more about that concept and how it's played out? Yeah, I think if I was out there building my own advisory business today and I need to be out there putting food on the table for my children, it's hard to sit down with someone maybe who has $250,000 or $100,000 in certain instances and saying, we're going to build a book of business with a bunch of $100,000 clients. But we know that the future of our business is those clients. It's clients who maybe have been working at the same company for 10 plus years. So majority of their wealth is in their 401k and they don't have much taxable assets, but starting with financial planning now is going to be much more beneficial for them than if they start five or 10 years from now. And I think having that core group of clients that we've worked with forever, that we've done financial planning for and estate planning, and we've seen it through, it's worked out over time. That allows us to say, okay, we have this great group of core clients that we know are not going anywhere. We can go out there and take on clients who might be smaller and bet on the come with those clients that, okay, although you might not have the assets today, We know that one, you're a great person. Two, you have a really solid career and you're starting to build a family. Let's start out now and really get things going to put that plan in place to hopefully get you to be that big client of ours 15, 20 years from now. Because at the end of the day, we want to work with people who we really enjoy working with and who enjoy working with us. And so we don't need to put that asset target on clients to say, okay, million dollars and above. We would much rather work with people who we like and we want to work with and really appreciate working with us and what we can do for them. 
I love that. So it's the legacy business or the core business gives you the canvas and the scale and the revenue. It lets you invest in other parts of the business that you maybe couldn't have if you didn't have a consistent revenue base. And then it lets you refocus the business and build for the future. It's a brilliant way to look at it. I think a lot of advisors do something similar, but maybe aren't as overt or or focused on doing just that. They just take people that make sense, but they're not as focused on the strategy that you just laid out. Did the strategy, did it bump into any challenges when you were at Morgan Stanley, assuming there's asset minimums and other types of, of policies in place? It did, unfortunately. That was one of the things that we would talk to management with a lot about the asset minimums. So certain household minimums where up until a certain point, you wouldn't get paid fees on, on the assets. And up until a certain point, you had to charge a certain amount. One thing that Larry was always forward thinking with and tried to do this with clients, and we do it now at Shorehaven, is what he calls a country club pricing model. Essentially, if we have anyone that comes in that's part of a family relationship, whether it's a grandkid, whether it's a child, we price them all at that family pricing. So if your parents are at 75 basis points and you only have a $10,000 account, that $10,000 account's at 75 basis points. And the goal there is to really let people know that this is a family business and we plan on working with your family for the rest of your life and the rest of our life at Shorehaven. We want to build this for the long run. And we truly believe that the best way to do that is to consistently build that multi-generational approach with our clients. And we live it ourselves, right? We're a multi-generational family business. We want to have multi-generational family relationships. And what we say to clients and what we say to prospects is we hope that if you hire us and you work with us, that we'll be the last advisory business that your family ever works with. Yeah. You got your own home cooking. Of course. Amazing. So looking back, what were some of the best parts of working for Morgan Stanley? What did you benefit from on that platform? I think the biggest thing for us was just the structure of everything was put in place. One of the biggest challenges when we were launching our own firm was to try to figure out how all the different pieces came together. And at Morgan Stanley, one of the things that they were really focused on was making sure that it was in one place on your desktop where you could see everything in one place, single sign-on, nice and easy. Another thing that was really helpful, especially tied into my BlackRock days, was that Morgan Stanley had a strong relationship with BlackRock on the Aladdin side. And so they built out the technology where I had a ton of familiarity with Aladdin, which is the risk software. And we were able to have that on our desktop when analyzing our portfolios. So that was really helpful and a great way for us to manage our portfolios. Thanks for sharing that. And what was the motivation to considering alternatives in the first place? What was going on with the business or what were we looking to solve for that you believed you couldn't by staying put? I think there was a couple things. First and foremost, I was a big believer that Larry's business was his business, right? And the business that he created over the years from 1978 until 2020 when we left was his business. And there was a lot of back and forth with regards to who the clients belonged to at the end of the day. And so that was something where I felt that if we wanted to build something for the long run that was going to maintain his legacy, the best and only way to do it was to own and operate our own firm. So that was definitely step one. I think step two was from a technology and ability to deliver best in class for our clients. I struggle with the fact that we were captive from a technology standpoint. And one of the things that I love so much about our firm now is the ability to really go out and say, okay, this is the best technology for our clients, whether it's planning software, whether it's trading software, whether it's lending partners. That open architecture really allows us to do what's best for clients in every instance. 
And unfortunately, there's a lot of benefit to being in the wirehouse, but one of the downsides is that there's a lot of advisors that they have to serve. And so you have 15, 16,000 financial advisors that are going to be using the technology and the platforms. And so they need to make sure that it's beneficial across scale. And for us, we just have to make sure it's best for our clients and best for our business. Fast forwarding a little bit, but you mentioned technology. So I'd say the positives and negatives of the independent space is that there's so many different options on the technology side. And you mentioned one of the positives of Morgan Stanley was that everything was bundled together in a neat little package on your desktop with single sign-on. What's been your experience with technology in the independent space? So options are good, but obviously you need everything to talk to each other and you don't want to get bogged down with evaluating a ton of vendors. So what's been your experience on the tech side? Yeah. So First, Dynasty was really helpful in kind of narrowing it down for us up front. Obviously, having them in the transition and understanding our business and how we work, I think, really helped us to narrow the options around, okay, these are probably the three to four that are best for you. But I will say that it's overwhelming, right? Every day you're getting an email from a different technology provider and everything seems interesting when you first read about it. For us, I think it was, let's figure out exactly what we need and what is the best way to implement on that. And then in addition make sure that everything does integrate with one another. So we use Black Diamond from a reporting standpoint, and Black Diamond does a really good job of integration across multiple technology platforms. So one of our core technologies is Riskalyze. We used it while we were at Morgan Stanley as well. And Riskalyze does a really good job of integrating through Black Diamond. So I think once we understood what we wanted and how we wanted to use it, it was just a matter of putting all the pieces together. But that's where Dynasty was huge in helping us to say, okay, We have a single sign-on through Dynasty. Depending on what technology we use, we can get it in that single sign-on. And then just make sure everything's integrated. It takes time to learn like where you first click in the morning. But after a while, once you get everything squared away, it's pretty easy to get from point A to point B and then continue on with your day. Right. That makes sense. It's about the focus. And we'll get into the relationship and the decision to work with Dynasty. But that is one of the major value adds is trying to put some structure around what could be a pretty overwhelming and time-consuming process of building your own tech stack. Let's talk about your criteria for evaluating options. A business of your size, and let's actually hit on that too, just how big was the business when you transitioned? That'd be helpful for perspective. But what was it that you were looking for in a partner and a platform and ultimately to to kind of be part of your roadmap? Yeah. So the business was a similar size to it is now. So right around 400 million under management. We had a couple of other support staff at Morgan Stanley, but right now we're five people in total. I think that the criteria for us, it was interesting. So we sat down with everybody to try and figure out who would be the best partner for us for what we were looking to build for the long term. And I think two things really stood out in the decision-making process. One was who understood the way that we wanted to build the business for growth, right? Because we had a strong legacy business, but we definitely want this business to grow. So what's the best way to build scale? And then the other thing that was really important in the evaluation process was if we were going to do this, we wanted to own our business outright. Mike and I were both 36 at the time. Larry's in his mid-60s, but wasn't planning on going anywhere. And if if we were going to do this, we wanted to do the work right. And we wanted to own our business outright. And so having 100% ownership of the business was really important. And then making sure we just partnered with people who understood our goals as a business, understood our goals for our clients. And then would give us the runway and capability to scale up. So Mike, Larry was a career wirehouse guy. Was it hard for him to think about doing something completely different, being 
the transition into the independent space. I mean, who wouldn't want ownership and to create a legacy and, and control? But especially, I mean, he's been in the wirehouse world since 1978, was very successful there. Was it hard for him to pick up and leave or even think about moving outside of a model that worked really well for him? 100%. I think that I was definitely the engine pushing for that to say, okay, guys, we're going to do this. We need to create our own business. We need to own our brand. And there was fits and starts along the way. So it took us a while to get through the due diligence process. There was a lot of thoughts in regards to when should we do this? Why should we do this? I think he really understood it prior to leaving and was excited about it. I think when we launched the firm, it's a fire drill, first six months to a year. I do think that. After that first year, looking back on it, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, it was, I can't believe we didn't do this earlier. But I will say, I think that a lot of what we put in place at Morgan Stanley prior, from a model standpoint, from a financial planning standpoint, all of that needed to be in place to then go independent. If he wanted to do this in 2011, when he went from Wells Fargo to Morgan Stanley, I don't think it would have gone as smoothly. And so... Although it always sounds great to say, oh, I wish I did this earlier. I think that everything happens for a reason and timing oftentimes happens for a reason. And so he came around to it. And as I was saying earlier, he's always been forward thinking and always looking at, okay, where is the puck going versus where is it now? And the independent space has a lot to offer to our clients and a lot to offer just from that open architecture, ownership and flexibility standpoint. So a lot to unpack there. So I'm curious, what were his biggest reservations about going independent and how did you help him overcome those? I think the first one was just, this is what my clients know. I've been in the wirehouse multiple times. I've done the move. It's not easy to do the move. It's a lot of work. So that was probably the first one. In 20, I forget if it was 2018 or 2019, Morgan Stanley left the protocol. So that definitely added another hiccup to our move around, okay, well, how are we going to do this? The other moves we've done in the past were inside of protocol. But luckily, we had some really good counsel who was helpful in making sure that we did everything on the up and make sure that we kept ourselves safe and our clients safe throughout that transition. Those are the main things. I think that the other thing with him was on the lending side, we did a lot of lending with clients at Morgan and just feeling comfortable that we could make sure that our clients that were taking advantage of the loans and the lending platform could get those options outside of the wirehouse, which they've been able to and we're able to use multiple lending partners now. So I think once we got that squared away, I think he was comfortable. I also think that he put a lot of faith into me and the fact that he knew that it wasn't going to push to ruin his career's work by trying to make us do something that was risky or wasn't going to work out at the end of the day. And so I took that very seriously and spent many waking hours and probably sleeping hours thinking about what was the best way for us to do this and, and really do this the right way to build it for the long term. If Mike Dursa wasn't in the picture, would Larry have just retired from Morgan Stanley? Or do you think he would have seen the vision that you ended up acting upon? I think he would have stayed there. I think yeah. for him, it was, this has been a great career I've built. I feel like there would have been a secession plan put in place, obviously, with Mike there. I think they would have figured out a way to transition it. But I don't think that they would have launched an RAA or gone towards Shorehaven. I definitely was pushing that. Before I even joined his business, I was pushing for that years ago. And then in 2016, when I did join the business, I was pretty adamant about the fact that I felt that we could do a really good job on the independent side. It would be a ton of work, but it would be best for our clients and for us. Yeah. I think that's a pretty common dynamic, right? Where the first generation advisor who built the business, it's good enough just to stay, but it's often when there's a 
next generation family member or even a team member or team members who feel like family where an advisor is willing to think more long term and is willing to take the risk and, and roll up their sleeves and do the work. Because now all of a sudden, it's not just about what's going to be best for the next three to five to seven years, but it's what's going to be best for the next 25 to 30 years. Absolutely. It's cool to hear my father talk about, I would love your children to join or Mike's children to join the business one day and really think about it as this long-standing legacy business, which is amazing because I'm sure when he got into this business in 1978, there was reasons to get into it, but I doubt he was looking out 30, 40, 50 years into the future to say this business is going to be what it is today. So it's really cool. And it excites me every single day to come here and have our own brand and realize that Larry's legacy will carry on forever in, in Shorehaven. Absolutely. I love that. So in the end, you partnered with Dynasty, Dynasty Financial Partners, to help you launch your own RIA. What was the thought process behind wanting to contract with Dynasty versus just doing it on your own or going with any other provider in the marketplace at the time? As I mentioned earlier, we did a lot of due diligence in regards to who we wanted to partner with. One of the things that always struck me about Dynasty was their understanding of the RIA marketplace and what it took to build your own firm. And so when we sat down with them and they laid out their 150 plus point plan on how to create your own business and what that transition was going to look like and everything from compliance to the website, to training platform, to logos and branding and anything you could imagine on this 150 point checklist, we felt really comfortable that the creation of our business and our brand was in good hands with Dynasty. Anybody who sat down with Cheryl and his team knows that they are certainly hyper-focused on growth. They are hyper-focused on doing business. And at the end of the day, that if you partner with them and have a business that you want to grow and grow successfully, they're a really good partner to have. The other thing, and I mentioned it earlier, was at the time, they were really the only firm that was willing to allow you to own and operate your RAA and manage it under your ADV. And so we were adamant about, we wanted 100% ownership of the business. We wanted our own ADV. We didn't want to do any sort of roll up or private equity. And so Dynasty provided that for us. And after sitting down with them, the decision was made pretty quickly. We did meet with other partners. We felt that we want to do our full due diligence on this. But after meeting with them, the decision was pretty clear pretty early. And what was the reasons why you wanted to have your own ADV? And with those reasons, do you think it was the right decision to have your own ADV today? I do. I think that the reasons initially were, if we're going to do all this work to create this business, at the end of the day, we want the good and the bad to fall on our shoulders. We want to make those decisions at the end of the day and never get in a situation where, okay, we signed up on someone else's ADV, they've now been purchased, and mm -hmm. now you're an employee of XYZ Financial. That was something that I was really adamant about. And one of the biggest things that was exciting about launching our own firm was the opportunity to be a business owner and really take the good with the bad, right? Turn on the lights in the morning, bring in the waters, but also have the ability to pick your own product, pick your own partners, the type of clients you want to work with. And all of that, we knew that as long as we owned our own business and our name was on that ADV, we could control that. Now, that doesn't come without challenges. Going through the SEC review the first year into the business and handling all of that and making sure that everything is on the up and constantly moving forward, it's certainly a lot of work. But I think at the end of the day, we wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, it's worth it because to you, it's about control and freedom and you're willing to put in the work because that's the price of it. And some people, they don't value those items as much or they value them to an extent, but they don't want to invest in building their own RIA like you did. So 
I love it. It makes sense. I think also one more point on that, Lewis, is I talk to a lot of advisors inside the wirehouse, regional people inside RAAs. I think there's a very big difference between being a business owner and being an advisor. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things I lay out often when we talk to people is, do you want to be an advisor who works with clients and has those relationships and builds portfolios, all the things that you really enjoy? Or do you want to do that in addition and be a true business owner, right? Do you want to have the corporate structure where you're a business owner, where you're dealing with vendors and dealing with technology and all the things that go into being a business owner, I think is very different than being an advisor. And one thing I say all the time is that I think one of my biggest benefits to our firm is the fact that traditionally I'm not an advisor. I've never been the person that sits down and does financial planning or talks about budgeting and cash flow. You know, Mike's a CFP. He's really good at that. John, who we hired a few months back, he's a CFP. My father's been working with clients forever. So I have the ability to really look at it as a business owner and think about Shorehaven as a business to do what's best for our clients without having the cloudiness of having to be that day-to-day advisor for our clients. Yeah, you're able to work on the business and kind of take the global view versus more just being really busy with serving existing relationships. They're full-time jobs. <laughs> How would you rate then the, your allocation of time between your duties at Morgan Stanley, which was presumably business development and portfolio management, et cetera, versus today where you're now a business owner in addition? And I will say for you and then for any sort of key team members, like how has your time allotment changed? Or and also, are you working more than you were before? Oh, definitely. I'm working way, way more than I was working before, but it's exciting. As I was saying earlier, it's when you own it and it's your thing and it's your brand, you don't feel like you're working as much as when you know, you're going to an office every day and logging into your computer in a corporate environment. So I would definitely say that. For me, I think that one of the things I really wanted to do with Shorehaven, and I think we've done a good job of, is creating scale and structure in the business. And so if something falls under that planning arm, it is Mike's first and foremost. He owns it. He starts it from A to Z. There's parts where maybe someone else needs to get involved, but that is his core thing to work on. If it's operational, Cheryl is handling that on a day-to-day basis. My father is working with our legacy clients and really out there talking to big prospects and strategic partners of ours, whether it's somebody potentially recruiting another advisor or on the larger scale clients. I would say for me, business development is everything I do, right? I think we're all in the sales business on a daily basis. I do spend a lot of the time on the investments as well right now. But one of the things in addition to that structure is creating scale. And so maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later, but you know, some of the technology and scale that we've put in place has allowed us to take our five-person firm and feel like a 50-person firm. And so that's allowed me to take some things off my plate that historically would take a lot of my time, which now allows me to really think about the business and the bigger strategy and structure and how we want things to look moving forward, whether it's from a higher standpoint or potentially bringing on other advisors. That is something that I didn't do any of at Morgan Stanley that I spend a lot of my time on now. Yeah, love that. And how about the choice of custodian? So you partnered with Fidelity as your primary custodian. Why'd you pick them over any other provider in the marketplace? Yeah, we had great conversations with all the custodians. And I think that one of the things we really liked about Fidelity was One is the name, right? Everybody knows Schwab and everybody knows Fidelity. I think that people feel comfortable with the name. Coming from a Morgan Stanley, I think that is one thing that we were a little nervous about around, okay, you're going from this big, big institution that everybody knows. Let's make sure that we have a name on the wall that everyone feels comfortable with so they don't think they're just sending the money to Shorehaven Wealth Partners, right? We have Fidelity behind it. That was the first thing. 
The second thing about Fidelity that I really liked was I had worked with them a lot, as I mentioned earlier, when I was at iShares and helping them set up that commission-free ETF list, understanding what made sense from an advisor standpoint on what products would be best to use. So I had a real comfortability there. And then I also really enjoyed their forward thinking from a technology standpoint. So we went to Boston, we checked out Fidelity Labs, some of the things they were doing on the AI side, some of the things on the crypto side and digital assets. And to me, it was very forward thinking about how they really viewed the marketplace and the future of the marketplace. And we've been really happy with the relationship that we have with Fidelity. Yeah, seems like the right move. And I like that. You, you gave some very original reasons why Fidelity or why Schwab, et cetera, because it is a hard decision and there's a lot of things that they all do well. And sometimes it's hard to pick out what really is going to win the day. And brand's always part of it, but I think you laid out a couple of other helpful items. So let's talk quickly about the transition. How did it go? How much did you move over, et cetera? It was an adventure. The transition was definitely one of those times where 18, 20 hours a day working, but it went well. There was a couple things at play. We transitioned in the middle of COVID. So it was July, 2020 when we launched the firm. So definitely had some challenges, but strangely enough, there was some advantages to that as well. Everyone was in their house. No one was on vacation. We overnighted paperwork to clients who I know historically, you know, a relationship with my father would have been That's great. I look forward to coming with you, but why don't you come out to Long Island? We'll go to lunch, bring the paperwork. Instead, it was, sure, overnight me the paperwork. We'll do a Zoom tomorrow and we'll begin that process. So from a time standpoint, I think it cut down the time to transition. Some of the challenges of COVID was with Fidelity, everybody was remote. So we were dealing with people who were all over the country trying to help us during the transition. Dynasty was enormous in that. So we had people on site from Dynasty who were really helpful. I think going into it, Cheryl and my father had transitioned from Wells Fargo to Morgan Stanley in 2011. So they had some idea of what the transition would look like, but it was very different because they were transitioning under protocol. And so a lot of the steps that we had to put in place definitely slowed it down to make sure we were doing it on the up and up. But the transition went really well. You brought over, I'd say 95% of our clients, one or two people who had ties to Morgan Stanley that stayed back, but we were really happy with the clients that we brought over. We were also fascinated by the amount of assets that were sitting at Fidelity, either in prior 401ks or IRAs that were rolled over that some clients had just forgotten about. So there was a fairly large asset grab for accounts that were sitting at Fidelity that unfortunately we didn't even know about. And so that was definitely a nice benefit to the transition. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Got some built-in growth. Yeah. Love it. What about two things that you can do differently now as an independent that you're really excited about? First and foremost is just the brand and the ability to really own that brand and own the narrative that's out there. So whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Instagram, even a lot of the media stuff I'm doing now. So Dynasty has a great PR person, Sally Cates, who's been incredible at getting me some good media outlets to really tell our story and just be out there as a voice in the industry. Unfortunately, at the wirehouse, a lot of that is controlled from a compliance standpoint, which I understand because you're speaking on behalf of a larger entity. But as Shorehaven, it's great to be that brand and have that face out there to really share what I think is helpful in the marketplace. So that's one thing that's really cool. And then the other thing is just from a technology standpoint, we recently contracted with a TAMP who helps us with tax loss overlay strategies, being able to go out and decide, okay, out of these three or four strategies, which is the best one for Shorehaven and which is the best one for our clients, being able to make those decisions. 
And as I mentioned earlier, that's not for everyone. I think that there's a lot of work and due diligence in it, but I think we were really well positioned for that. One, with my background, and two, with really understanding what makes sense for our clients. We have a core group of clients who over time have been consistent, and we know that most of our clients fall within three or four buckets. And so if they fall within those buckets, we're able to build that scale and use that technology to meet what's best for them. Excellent. All right. So let's pivot. I'd say we're kind of buried the lead here, but I think this is going to be the most interesting segment of the interview. Not that the rest wasn't great, but we want to talk about your second transition. That was to become the CEO of Shorehaven earlier in 2022. Let's just talk about that. When did the process of you becoming CEO begin? Because I know a lot of folks listening are in family businesses or are the next man or next woman up. And the process of succession and taking over the reins of a really well-entrenched business is challenging. So I'd love to just hear about how it all began and what your process was with your dad, Larry. Yeah, it was interesting. I think going into the business, there was no conversations around me being the CEO. But I think that after we were working for a little over a year, it was probably a year and a half into the business, we were actually at a dynasty event and they were talking about a lot of what the CEOs were doing in the network and the different responsibilities they were taking on for their firms. And while we were there, my father, Larry, as I mentioned, always forward thinking, pulled Mike and I aside and said, Mike, I think you should be the CEO of this business. I think that (laughs) you're doing a lot of what CEOs do on a day-to-day basis. It's not what I do. It's not what I'm necessarily good at. And it's not what I want to do. So you should be the CEO. And anyone who knows my father knows that when he makes a decision, the decision is made. And it's one of those, we're going to do this right now. And I said, I think that's a great idea. I understand where you're coming from, but let's be a little bit more thoughtful and strategic about it. And let's tie it into the two-year of our firm. And so that was probably February or maybe January or February of last year, of this year, I apologize. And we talked a lot about, okay, well, how are we going to do this over time? What are the roles going to look like when I transition over to CEO? Larry's going to transition to chairman. What is the focus of each of those roles and how is it going to benefit our clients, our prospects, and really everyone at the business? And so we wanted to be thoughtful about how we did it. And I think it's been great. Honestly, I feel like although a lot of my roles and responsibilities have remained the same for him, I think that we've really both dove into it headfirst and have really taken to the new roles really well. I feel like there's an empowerment for me to be the CEO of the business and really speak about the brand and build the brand. And for Larry, I think it's been awesome because he always worked as a chairman, as that chairman type function. As I mentioned earlier, he's a great relationship guy. Anyone who meets my father remembers it and enjoys meeting with him. He's just a good guy to be around. And I think he enjoyed that part of the business way more than the day-to-day strategy and the some of the nuanced things with being a CEO and working on the day-to-day structure of the business, hiring, future plans around advisors. So it's been a really natural transition for both of us. And I think we've been really happy with how it's gone. Okay, well, first off, congratulations. That's a major accomplishment. I mean, as someone who's also in a family business and went through something similar to become president back in 2021, it's a big deal. And I think there is definitely a moment or two or seven of panic, like, oh my God, some imposter syndrome, some just, I've never done this before. How's it going to be perceived? What am I going to do? So you're kind of like thrown into the deep end to become CEO. Did you have any doubts that you could be successful at it? And what strategies did you use to kind of build up your leadership skills and just get ready for the challenge ahead? So is this where I'm supposed to lie and say I doubted myself? I really had no doubts about it, to be honest. I think one of the benefits of my career and the way that it progressed was that 
I had the opportunity to be around a lot of really good leaders at Alliance Bernstein and BlackRock and going back to that training and seeing exactly how they handled progression throughout their career. It allowed me to really think about, okay, if I ever get the opportunity to be in a leadership role, hopefully this is the way I would approach it. I think that's one. The other side of it is I was also around a lot of people who didn't handle leadership roles well, which might be more important than the people who did. And so seeing some of those flaws, seeing some people who were overly arrogant and wouldn't take advice and weren't trying to learn, I think has made me understand that although I'm in this leadership role now, it's still important to be really humble and understand that you don't know everything. You need to continually be learning. You need to listen to your people. You need to listen to your clients. Understand that it is important to constantly be moving forward. And that's something that I always focus on for me personally and professionally. And something that I talk a lot about with Shorehaven is that I think for us to continually deliver that best in class experience for our clients and future clients, we need to constantly be focused on getting better as a business, getting better as a person just learning about new things, understanding what the future of the marketplace holds, and just continuously moving forward. And so I think that a lot of that ties into to being a CEO and being forward thinking. Yep. I wasn't looking for you to lie, but come on. I, that's <laughs> at least like, oh, it was really challenging. I didn't sleep. That, that was more my experience. But then once you're in it, it's just, it just kind of makes sense. And you realize that you don't have to do it exactly the same way that Larry did. And you can carve your own path and you contribute in your own ways. And there isn't one best way or one right way to be the leader of a business. I agree. I think the other thing that I've always found fascinating is that you don't grow unless you push yourself to be uncomfortable. And I think that a lot of the uncomfortability, even when we launched this business or when I joined the advisory business, there was so much I didn't know. And just being uncomfortable, but putting yourself in those situations to fail is what's going to make you successful in the long run, right? Figuring out why you failed and how you can do it better the next time. And maybe what led to that failure is what just makes you consistently getting better over time. Yep. I'm with you. How about for your dad? Do you think it's been a hard transition, maybe from a somewhat an ego standpoint, from being the definitive leader of the business, but also just from like a day-to-day standpoint, has it been a challenge for him at all? I do. I don't think the challenge has come recently during this change. I think we went through some of those bumps and bruises earlier. I would say we even had some of those challenges at Morgan Stanley, where I was always focused on getting him to focus on what was the most important thing for our business, right? To not worry about some of the minutia and the day-to-day stuff and say, go out there and talk to our biggest clients. Focus on that. I'll handle the investments. Mike will handle the planning. And I think that if you look back five, six years ago, delegation was a little bit of a problem for him because I feel like he had always done it his way. He built the business. He made it incredibly successful and he knew the right way to do it. But I think he also knew that over time, it was just too much for him to handle. And as the business grew, as we added financial planning capabilities, as we ramped up our investment capabilities, that it was just way too much for one man to do. And so He's gotten really good at delegating and allowing people to stay in their lanes. And that's something that I think makes us so successful at Shorehaven is the fact that we have those lanes, but we're all collaborative at the end of the day. So when we sit down in our morning meeting, it's, okay, what's going on from a planning standpoint? What's going on from an investing standpoint? What's going on operationally? And then is there anything that we need to worry about specifically to clients that is a this week problem? And so having those lanes and having those responsibilities allows that structure and I think allows him to feel okay delegating those things where if you looked back four or five years ago, I think that he definitely still wanted to hold it close to the vest and make sure that he was involved in every day-to-day decision. 
when that's happening, it's hard to grow as a business because there's only so many hours in the day. And if he's using his time to be talking to our best clients and continuing to build out those relationships, we're all just going to be more successful for it. But it definitely takes a little bit of comfortability there. And obviously there's that trust that needs to be built in the business over time as well. I think it helps that he's known Mike since he was born. And obviously he's known me since I was born, since I'm his son. It allows us to have a different perspective on that delegation and comfortability, knowing that if you delegate something, it's going to get done. It's going to get done right. Right. How about the clients? You were a younger guy in the industry and with any leadership change, there has to be some questions that pop into their minds about, wow, am I going to be well taken care of? Does Mike actually got this? Does he know what he's doing? How do clients react when the news broke of you becoming CEO and just clearly this is part of a larger succession plan? Yeah, it was twofold. So when we first launched the firm, the question we got from everybody is, okay, so Larry's retiring and stepping down and you guys are having your own firm. And the answer there was absolutely not. The amount of work and time it took to build Shorehaven, he never would have done all that work and transition work to then retire a year later. So we squashed those concerns early on. And I think there hasn't been too much. I feel like clients understand the way that my dad thinks and the way that he really enjoys what he does on a daily basis. And I mentioned it earlier, but it's the greatest job in the world once you have it established, right? And once you have your team and people in place and you know that it's a pretty well-oiled machine, why would any advisor retire, right? You have great relationships with your clients. You enjoy talking to them. Most of the investment conversations I'm handling, most of the planning conversations Mike is handling, and he's there to keep that relationship moving forward. Obviously, they're always going to look to him for the advice and for that finality of a decision. But I think that we've done a really good job of building up that comfortability with Mike Lombardi has been in the business now for 11 years with my dad. And so clients know that if for some reason they can't reach Larry, they pick up the phone and call Mike and they're going to get a consistent message. And I think that's what you really need when you build a business for the long term. is he's obviously not going to be around forever, but he's not going anywhere soon. And anyone that knows my dad knows his energy levels are of like a 35 year old. And so they don't see him going anywhere. He's still in those meetings. He still is out there brand building. And he's excited now as I've ever seen him in the 44 years of his business. It's incredible to see him. I think once it finally clicked and he got the RAA space and he understood what it was like to own and operate our own business, he's the most excited one coming in here every day. And it's really cool to see. So did you lose any clients after you became CEO? And are you worried about losing clients? No, we haven't lost any clients. Amazing. My father always says the only way we lose clients is when they die, <laughs> typically. Yeah. And more often than not, they transition to the next generation. Like I said earlier, we do a really good job of making sure that we take care of the entire family and so have strong relationships with most of our clients' children. And it certainly doesn't hurt that Mike and I are both 38 years old, right? So it's a different conversation with the children when you have someone who's is closer in age to them, as opposed to that old dynamic of, well, that's my parents' advisor. Right. Exactly. Well, it's sad when people pass away, but I guess that's a good thing for your business. And I think it's good validation for anyone listening that you might have some panic or paranoia about stepping down, stepping back, et cetera. But ultimately, you're a walking success story that if you do it right, you message it right, and you have the right infrastructure in place, that as long as you're still taking care of the client, that they're not going to leave just because the title's changed or because someone is no longer in the business or as active as they were. Yeah. I mean, it's rooted in everything you do, right? And if clients understand there's that consistency there. And I think the other thing that's great is he never had us in the background. It was never, this is my business. Clients only knew he was doing things. He was always very open about the fact that 
The reason I hired Mike Lombardi is because I wanted a financial planner. The reason Mike Durso is here is because he's bringing an investment expertise. And so being able to realize that early on and being able to message it as a strength as opposed to a weakness to clients, I think makes that transition even cleaner. And clients understand that you're putting in place this team to do what's best for me. At the end of the day, would you rather have somebody who's trying to control everything? There's four jobs there, right? You don't want an advisor who's doing all four of those jobs. You want somebody who's put a best-in-class team in place to do what's best for our clients. And so there's a lot of comfortability there. And I think the messaging is always key, though. Last question, one we ask everyone who joins us. Just any parting words of advice for advisors considering change, advisors who are capped about a firm, or just anything that you've learned in your travels that you want to leave your audience with? I think the key is to really understand your options that are out there. For a lot of advisors, working in a wirehouse, working at a roll-up, RAA, makes a lot of sense. For us in our business, owning and operating an RAA and building our brand was what excited us the most. So with everything in life, I think it really comes down to what you value, right? And you sit down and say, these are the things that I value most about going to work every day, about my family, what it may be. Once you figure out what you value most, then you can make a strong decision around what is the next best step for me in my career. And so understanding what you value and then who provides that value is really the most important thing. And for us, like I said earlier, we really valued owning and operating the business, being able to control the brand, being able to pick the technology stack and provide for our clients. For other people, they might want to just come in every day and have that taken care of for them, but just talk to their clients all day and maintain those relationships and do that inside the big structure of a wirehouse or regional bank or whatever it may be. So understanding what you value and really how that firm or how the where you work aligns with those values is the most important thing. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's our core belief too. Mike, this has been really interesting on many different levels, but to me, at least hearing about the transition to becoming CEO was something different and unique than what we've heard on the show. And thank you for being honest about your confidence and stepping into the role and how it's gone. I appreciate it, Lewis. It was great chatting with you. I always enjoy our conversations. So I'm glad we can get it out there in the uh, public space. Mike offered some really solid advice for those considering the leap to independence, as well as those looking at succession. Yet it was his candor in sharing that neither are without effort that is most resounding. Because as he shares, there's a certain level of excitement around taking those next steps and ultimately realizing the goals you set out to achieve. I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the articles link to browse recent topics. These written pieces are an ideal way of staying informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. You can feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 973-476-8578, which is my cell, or by email mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. 
And keep in mind that our services are available without cost to the advisor. You can see our website for more information. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. If you're listening on the Apple Podcasts app, I'd be grateful if you gave it a store rating and a review. It will let other advisors know it's a show worth their time to listen to. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.